Last week we looked at chapter 28. This week we're going to look at chapter 29. A brief remembrance of uh, chapter 28. Uh, Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him off to, to Padan Aran to the house of Bethul and made it clear that he wanted to go back to the family and not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And so he went off to the family of his ancestry. And he went to Nahor's family, which was Abraham's brother. I'll get it right today. Bethuel was Abraham's nephew, son of Nahor. And um, then um, it was Rebekah's brother that he would eventually meet. We'll see that today. But he didn't want Jacob to marry a Canaanite or a Hittite because they also already had uh, Hittite women in the family through Esau. It didn't work well as from the perspective of uh, Rebekah or um, Isaac. And of course Esau saw this displeasure with his two Hittite wives so he went to Ishmael's family and took one of his daughters as a wife. We don't get a lot of information about how that worked out but that's what he did. And during the trip Jacob has a dream. He sees a ladder with the angels ascending and descending the ends of the ladder are the earth and heaven and he sees God in heaven standing at the top of the ladder and God announces to him I'm with you I will bless you wherever you go and you all of the families of the earth will bless will be blessed and I will not leave you until this promise is kept Jacob's response is surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it his eyes were opened to who God was and how God was looking over the family of Abraham and himself in particular. And he uses the stone that he slept on as a monument. He anoints it with oil. He names it Bethel. And he makes a vow to God that if he will keep those promises, that he will honor him with a tenth of all that he has. And so that's Jacob's experience in the early part of his trip after he's sent out by Isaac with the blessing. And of course, Rebecca helped set that up because she went to Isaac and says, I don't think I could live with it. I think that's how we put it in today's vernacular. I couldn't live with it if we got another Hittite daughter-in-law. And so she sets Jacob up to leave. There is something in the background because Esau has comforted himself with the idea that when dad dies, Jacob's going to die for what he's done to me in stealing not only my birthright was the way he looked at it. He traded it for some porridge, for some gruel, but also in particular for stealing the blessing of Isaac regarding the transfer of the promise of Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob. So with that, we've got Jacob on the road, and we're going to read chapter 29. There are 35 verses. Uh, I'd appreciate if someone would start out, and if you don't want to finish it all, you can stop. Someone else can, can pick it up. Kind of a long, long section, but we, we will benefit from reading that through. So who can get it started? And Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, 
the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Aram. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While I was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with them, with him a month. And then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are kinsmen, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. 
And she conceived Morrison and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So, um, kind of just going to lay out ahead of time for you a little bit. I'm, we're going to go through this uh, as written and discuss you know, what's going on and what's happened. And after we put all that together, um, I, I've got some information to bring that will help us really visualize this story, uh, this series of events, uh, maybe with slightly different lens, a little accuracy thrown in on top of it. But let's work our way through it, and we'll come to that other information kind of on the, the back side of it. Jacob then continues his journey in verse 1, and he came to the sons of the east. And the east, that's where Haran was, was east. Uh, Abraham had traveled both north and west. Uh, and then went back some south, so he pretty much was to the west. And so we're over to the east of where uh, Abraham's and his descendants has settled. And he's moved on from where he had the original dream. And in verse 2 then, uh, he comes upon an area where he sees uh, a well. And there are three flocks of sheep there. They're resting. They're waiting on water from the well. There's a large stone over the the mouth of the well, don't really know the details of how this well is constructed or whatever, but by rolling the stone back, they can then get the water and take care of the sheep. And in verse 3 it says, so when all they come, they will move, so they're waiting for all the flocks to be there, so then they will move the stone and then put it back when they're done. In verse 4, Jacob challenges the shepherds with these sheep. Why are you... Where, well, first he says, where are you from? And they tell him, Haran. And so he's like, okay, this is, this is part of the goal. This is part of the trip I'm supposed to be on. So he says, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And this is the way they would use the word son. We might say grandson, because that's really what Laban was, was a grandson of Nahor. And they said, yes, we do. And so if we look back at chapter 28, verse 15, let's do that. Let's read that. Uh, Genesis 28, 15. Yeah. And so God has told Jacob, I'm going with you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to see that you wind up uh, protected in the right places. Things will go well for you. And obviously, here he is, the first encounter that's recorded is with the sons of, of Nahor, um, and he's in Haran, so he's come right to the, his uh, mother's people, which is what he wanted. And so in verse 6, uh, it says, is it well with him? Meaning, how is um, Laban doing? And they said, it is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with sheep. Now, apparently this was quite some distance away yet. But so here is Rachel coming up with the sheep. And in verse 7, he says, hey, it's still high day. It's not the time for livestock to be gathered. Uh, water your sheep and go get them in the pasture. The idea is that uh, if you just took this at purely face value, you guys have got your day all wrong. You should, already, you should have these sheep out already grazing, and you're sitting here waiting on the water. Well... 
they make it clear that we can't until all the flocks are gathered. So their way of operating was we get all the sheep together, we open the well once, we water everybody's sheep, we close the well off and then go graze. And um, Jacob is suggesting they're being a little out of order in how they ought to do things in reading commentaries and so on. Um, some suggested that with Rachel coming up and she's the daughter of uh, Laban that he's really trying to get them out of there so he can have a conversation with Rachel without their presence. I, I don't know that that's the case. Um, don't know what his intentions were. Uh, but just at face value, he's giving them a pretty good reason. You're mixing your grazing time. Uh, good shepherds are going to see that the sheep get everything they need in a day, and, and you're missing that. But in verse 9, so while he's still speaking, here comes Rachel with Laban's sheep. She was a shepherdess, so that was her normal duties. And verse 10 uh, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So he gets personally involved with getting the watering done. And his focus is on the sheep of Laban that Rachel has, or that, uh, yeah, that Rachel has brought up to the well. And verse 11, Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept and Jacob told Rachel he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebecca's son and she ran and told her father now if we read that in our modern culture that's fairly brazen of a young man at first meeting to uh, be uh, pursuing this young woman with a kiss I said young this woman with a kiss and in reality, though, we're going to see this kiss also given to Laban, or a kiss. So this may or may not be any kind of affectionate thing. This is a simple, could simply be just their form of greeting. Because kissing people, relatives, when you meet them, that was a fairly common thing to do. So uh, this may very well have been just a common greeting. And he gives her the news about, I'm here from your brother's sister I'm her son and so she goes and tells Laban well when Laban hears the news about his sister's son Jacob he ran to meet him and brought him in the house and then Jacob tells Laban all these things meaning what we have heard up to date and so he gets caught up on the family history why Jacob's there what he's been doing and in verse 14, it's Laban said to him, Well, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And then Jacob stays with them a month. The, uh, the custom at this time was when a stranger came to your home, pretty much any stranger was given welcome, and they were, they were taken care of for three days. At the end of three days, they were obligated to state their business, what they were doing, what their intentions were, give some basis, a reason for staying longer. And uh, Jacob almost does that out of the bag. And so he is there for this month. Verse 15, we see Laban starting to think about their relationship and how they're going to work things out. And Laban said to Jacob, 
Because you're my relatives, you should not serve me for nothing. What wages should they be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17, Leah's eyes were weak. Now what did that mean? That could mean lots of different things. It could mean that her eyesight was poor. It could also mean, and most folks think this is what it was, was that atypically for the people of that region, she probably had light-colored pupils instead of the normally dark, sharp ones. And this would be a common way to describe it. And that was seen as a flaw, as a, a negative in appearance. Uh, could be any number of things about how her eyes worked or what they looked like. But clearly Laban was not, or Laban, uh, Leah was not the beauty of the family. Rachel was. Uh, Rachel was beautiful of form and face in the New American Standard. And so Jacob reveals that in this month, he says, I, I well, he said, it, the, the scriptures tell us he had begun to love Rachel, and he said to Laban, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Labor, Laban said, well, it's better to give her to you than to another man, so stay with me. In other words, it's a contract. Jacob's going to serve seven years, and at the end of that seven years, then he can take Rachel as his wife. And so Jacob does the time. He does the service. He serves Laban uh, in whatever ways that was needed. Based on what we will see in, in the next chapter, it was probably tending the flock almost all of the time. And those seven years seemed very short, like a few days, because of how much he loved Rachel. And then things take an interesting turn. The seven years is up. And Jacob says to Laban, give me my wife for my time is done. I fulfilled the contract. I've worked the seven years. Uh, it's time that I may go into her. And this is a euphemism for uh, consummating the marriage and having the marriage. And so Laban does a wedding feast. He gathers all the men in the place and they have this great feast. And the evening he took his daughter Leah, brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. So that marriage has begun. Now, verse 25 is a little surprising to Jacob, surely, and probably even to us. It came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. Uh, and uh, so Jacob's not real pleased with that outcome. And you could ask yourself a hundred questions that nobody can answer. And that would be, how in the world did he have to take till the next morning to figure it out? And we don't know, but that's what it took. And he goes to Laban and he says, what have you done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Now, I find that to be an interesting question. Um, because... Um, Jacob is on the tail end now seven years ago or plus or minus or not minus but maybe a little more don't know how long his journey took he spent a lot of work at his mother's direction deceiving his own dad and he knew why people deceive people it's pretty should be fairly obvious to him that um, Laban's got a plan here that's to Laban's advantage but nonetheless Laban's got a quick answer well it's not our practice in our place 
you're an outsider, don't understand how we do things. You should have seen this coming if you did. But we do not marry off the younger before the firstborn. And so Laban basically said, well, I had to. It's not my fault. We just don't do it that way. Um, if you were Jacob, or if you were just counseling Jacob, how would you characterize what Laban has done? Well, yeah, you, you might say, well, what goes around comes around. Um, but when was the right time for Laban to bring this issue up? Before the marriage. Well, before the marriage, before the seven years started. Well, you've got to understand there, Jacob, uh, the first seven years isn't going to be for Rachel because we've, we've got to work, we've got to marry Leah off first. And uh, you are going to be, whether you like it or not, the prospect for Leah if you want to marry Rachel. Why, why would working for a bride be maybe, I don't know if I want to say normal, but a way to satisfy custom in this time? Have you ever heard the term bride price? I mean, it was not uncommon that if you're going to take a woman out of a family, a young woman, and marry her, that you would provide some goods, some payment to the family as a token of your appreciation for who she is, but just simply as part of the economic system, it wasn't at all abnormal for a man to pay a bride price. Remember when the servant of Abraham went and found a bride for Isaac? Remember what he left there? I mean, there was gold and there were camels and there, I mean, he, they left a lot when they left town with Rebecca or left um, her, her brother Laban and her father. And so um, he's working, he's paying a bride price, if you will, but he didn't pay that price. The bargain wasn't for Leah, but Laban has an answer for everything. And so um, he said, tell you what, complete another seven years. Jacob must have been good help. Complete another seven years and also complete the week with Leah. There's a, 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 an expected honeymoon week. Well, that's what we would call it probably. But there's a week with Leah to, to come and to, to get your marriage started on the right foot, to focus on her. And then at the end of that week, I will also give you Rachel, but you have a obligation then for another seven years. And also, I don't want to skip this, uh, but as he does this, um, when, when Leah was given, he provided, Laban also provided a maid um, with her, and my eyes aren't focusing on the name, I've got it over here as well. Um, Zilpha. Zilpha, just can't make my, my eyes see it. And then when he also gives Rachel, with her he gives Bilhah. And so the week is completed with Leah, and then he consummates his marriage with Rachel, and we're often going with him having two wives and seven more years of the pleasure of working for Laban. Now, verse 31. The Lord saw that Leah was, New American Standard says, unloved. I heard this morning hated. I didn't look that word up, didn't see that coming. But 
she wasn't the apple of Jacob's eye. As a matter of fact, you can imagine she represents Laban's treachery. She was his wife by trickery, not by choice. And so she, she was not the one that, that Jacob was focused on as a loved wife. And the Lord saw that, and he opened her womb. Now that's consistent, or not consistent, that is important in this era because children were a very important part of the roles, role of the woman, the wife, and the family and so bearing children was very important um, and was seen as God's blessing on their family as it should be yet today. But God opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And so out of that opening of her womb, Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. And i got to catch up in my notes here. Reuben means, behold, a son. And, of course, a son, as the firstborn, was um, treasured. And so she says, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. So we've got this competition going. We've got this desire on Leah's part to be important in Jacob's eye, to be loved to be cared for, uh, to have some attention shown on her in a very approving and affectionate way. And the next thing we hear according to these words are, Then she conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she named him Simeon, which means heard. So she's... I'm going to say this carefully, slightly, somewhat, focused on her own being unloved. And so she is giving God credit for hearing, but she is thinking about her own condition. In verse 34, she's conceived again and bore a son and said, Now my this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. She's thinking she is gaining his approval and his connection with her through the sons and she named this son Levi which means to be joined and then she conceived again and bore a son and it changed a little bit instead of being focused on her own plight as an unloved wife she said this time I will praise the Lord and she named him Judah which simply means praise. And at that point, she stopped bearing. And, of course, we can see the stage is set. Here is Rachel, the apple of Jacob's eye, that is undoubtedly receiving lots of attention, but is not bearing children. That's not going to be very satisfying for, for Rachel. And here is Leah not so highly prized in Jacob's eyes, but is bearing children, which is a very important milestone. Remember the story of Sarah and so on and their great work. And then when um, Isaac married Rebekah, 
there was a wait and he prayed to God and then began to have children and had the twins. And so now the stage is set for jealousy, competition, and all kinds of things that we're going to begin to see in chapter 30. Now, as I was preparing, I wanted to get a perspective about time and age. And I asked myself the question that I did not know the answer to, well, how old was Jacob at the point that he married these two women? And I found out you can get there. It's not difficult, but if you really want to understand how you get to the number, you've got to go a little bit of a path into the future. And I found that as I discovered this, my mental image of Jacob going to the well, meeting Rachel, and so on and so on, took an abrupt shift. So I want to take you through that. And we're going to look forward first to Joseph. So I'll put these ver verses up. We'll read them. We want to look at Genesis 37, 1 and 2. Genesis 37, 1 and 2. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, in the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zaphah. Okay, so, sorry, did I interrupt? Oh, no, that's right. So Joseph is 17 at this point, where we find him tending flock. Now, what's coming right after this is the account of the dreams and the fact that his brothers are offended. And ultimately, Joseph is sent out to his brothers at one point while they're tending flock. And uh, they decide he's going to be too much of a problem to put up with him. So they're going to eliminate him. Well, now their original path was death. But instead, they sold him into slavery. Was he still 17? I don't know, but he was 17, maybe 18, something like that, because it was right after this account here that we get that to happen. Now let's go to Genesis 41 and 46. Genesis 41 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Yeah, now this standing before Pharaoh is when Joseph has interpreted the dreams and has uh, been placed in charge of their famine preparation plan and was second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. And he's 30 years old when that occurs. We, so we know, we know when that is. Now let's go to Genesis 45, 4 through 6. Joseph 
said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here, for God has sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Okay, so the famine's been there two years. What happened before the famine? How many? Seven. So this is nine years after Joseph would have ascended to being second only to Pharaoh. Nine more years makes Joseph 39. And his brothers are there, and Pharaoh finds out about his family. Jacob and his siblings were still living in Canaan, coming back to get the food, and uh, let's look at um, Genesis 47, 7 through 9. Who's got that for us? Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are 130. So at this point... Jacob is 130. Now, he found himself in front of Pharaoh because Pharaoh had said to Joseph, Joseph's my favorite character in the Old Testament for the most part, not entirely, but uh, so I'm going to have fun when we study that and get into detail. But Pharaoh had said to Joseph, well, go get your family. We're going to give them the best land. We're going to want your father to be honored. And so that's how jo Jacob found himself in front of Pharaoh, and he says... Well, my sojourn, my time on this earth, is 130. Well, that gives us a point at which we can start to work our way backwards. Um, so let's look at Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 and 26. As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. So Jacob, now he doesn't leave at this point. Laban talks him into staying some longer. Longer. But at this point, how long has he been married? 14. 14. No, back up. He worked 14 years for Laban, but the first seven he wasn't married, was he? Right. Okay. Seven. So he... He, he had been married seven years at the point when Joseph was born. Okay? We're starting to get some pieces to get put together. And so, um, where did I get the 91? It should have been in 25 and 26. What am, what am I missing there? Oh, here's where we get it. So when Joseph was 39, his father winds up in front of Pharaoh. Okay? At the same time, Jacob is 130. So if at 130 for Jacob... We have 39 
years, that's how old Joseph was, then when we subtract that, we're going to get 91 is Jacob's age when Joseph was born. And he's been married seven years. So he was 84 at his marriage. And he'd been there seven years before his marriage. So when Jacob met Laban, he would have been 77 years old. Now all this could vary a little bit based on how long it took Jacob to get to Laban and some of those things. His age might have been plus or minus a little bit along the way. And when I first am looking at this, I'm like, wow, you know, that really changes the picture. I wondered about it was, you know, is this just somebody, because I, I mean, I found this following the path of other people dragging me through it, but uh, people that I've trusted a long time, MacArthur being one of them, now that's what he said, that uh, this was Jacob's age, that he was, set, the, the one that MacArthur said is, he was 77 when he met Laban. Another thing that's very interesting is, if that's correct, and we could go back and I could show you how, but that means it's been 96 years when he met Laban since Rebecca left. So Rebecca was no spring chicken when she was plotting her plan with Jacob to steal the blessing. And when you start putting age on these men, it's kind of like, whoa. This wasn't two young, boisterous twins competing for dad's blessing. It was two men with a lot of years on them. And they're going to live a lot more years. An interesting thing, looking back, if we go back to Genesis 11, I'm not going to go through and pull all the numbers out and read it, but it talks about how old the men were when they had their children. And the average age, particularly if you take Abraham's father out, who was very late in life when he had his first child, it was in their 30s when they had their first children, which seems a little on the old side for me and what we're taught to think about on those olden days with lessened lifespans and so on. Of course, if you read chapter 11, you'd never say they had short lifespans. But nonetheless, um, but through Abraham's lineage, these men typically had their children pretty late in life. And this seems to be continuing in Jacob's experience. He didn't even meet Rachel if these dates are reliable and we're working right from scripture, so I would think that they are. Uh, he would have been 77 when he met Laban, 84 when he took his two wives, and would have been 91 when Joseph was born. Kind of scoots my mental image of all that's going on here sideways quite a ways. When I picture how these men were acting when they had their competition over the blessing, 
I see in my mind's eye two men maybe in their 30s or 40s that can't quite figure out how to be mature enough to work things out. No, no, not at all. They're men in their late 70s. Uh, Esau would have been the same age. And it's easy to understand why Jacob is staying home and sending his sons off to Egypt later. And then here is Jacob in front of Pharaoh. And it's a natural question, wouldn't it be? If a man that was 130 years old walked into your presence, wouldn't one of the questions on your mind be, um, how old are you? And he asks it and gets an answer. Well, I've been sojourning on this earth for 130 years. Now that took, it took me long enough to figure out how to put all that together. So I understood it. I figured it'd take us 20 minutes here. It didn't take us but then. But nonetheless, questions, comments, thoughts? I've got a question for you right here. Yeah. It's not directly related to this, but I'm curious to hear your take on it. Um, so many of, well, all, almost virtually all the patriarchs and other heroes in the Bible are born from barren women. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? <laughs> um, I, I don't know 100% of the time, but... I can tell you, I think, with a fair degree of accuracy, I said fair degree. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say it has to be this way. But when I look at what's going on with Sarah and Abraham, it is pretty clear that God is building faith in Sarah and Abraham. And he's, he even, I don't think he encourages it, but he knows full well they will do it. He even lets them try their own solutions out to see that's not going to work. And so he wanted them to be fully trusting in him for the keeping of the promises. I don't think there's much doubt there. Um, when, when you get over to Isaac and Rebecca being barren, um, I think there's a, it, it's very clear that Isaac is uh, distraught in the sense that he's married to a woman that's barren and it's bothering her and he... He knows the promise and so on, and I think God is, I don't know if I want to say it this way, because I think God planned it this way, so he's not just waiting, going, come on, come on, come on, but I think he waits for um, Isaac to get to the point that he says, God, we've got a problem here. I need you to allow my wife to have a child, and God responds. Um when we, when we get to the 12 tribes of Israel and the children of Jacob, um, it gets a little fuzzier. I mean, clearly, clearly God is giving Leah reason for confidence that she's loved by God, that he's, she's, he's caring. For, I mean, he knows, she knows God is the one that opened her womb. Before she's done, I'm going to praise God. And, and I think that was the point. I think God was, was showing that he wasn't finding Leah without favor. That that particular favor for Rachel was um, the differentiation, the lack of favor for Leah was not in the eyes of God, but was in the eyes of Jacob. And the other thing that I think is there, <clears throat> um, 
I would have a difficult turning, turn, time turning right to verse. Um, but in both children of God in the New Testament and in the founding of the nation of Israel, God made it clear both times, I didn't pick you because you were a great nation. I picked you because you were the least. And that he would have many of the children born out of the woman that was seen to be flawed, to be founders of tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, I think is fitting with the way God looks at things. I don't, want, I don't want the people that will rise and the world would call the cream of the crop. I want the people that when we're done, the world knows they saw me at work. It's not just some brilliant or um, insightful men or women for that matter. And so I, I really think that's a big piece of it. And we see the same thing in the New Testament. Where is the debater of this age? Where is the wise? And those verses are easily found. I just, when I'm standing up here, I can't, I can't talk and think and put all those things together and go find them very quickly. But that's real clear in the New Testament as well. And even the analogy is made in the New Testament. I chose the Israelites not because they were strong, because they were weak. That's why I'm choosing you too. Because Paul said it well, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And God wants people who will recognize their own weakness. And if they won't, he still wants the world to see it. These people are rising up not because they are the most powerful, but because they're the ones I am honoring and the ones I am choosing. Fair enough? Good answer? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, tribe of Judah. And, and I think the name is significant there, too. I mean, it's the child that she said, I'm going to praise God on this one. Didn't talk about her own plight. Chose a name that said, praise God. And uh, I'm sure all of that was orchestrated by God through his Holy Spirit leading, leading her. It's a good point. Other questions, comments? Well, I, I, I believe this because I find it in the scriptures. And it really shoved my my perception of these people and my mind's eye. I mean, when I read this stuff, I can't help but be picturing it. I picture the well. I picture him rolling. By the way, he was a 77-year-old uh, man that rolled that big stone away. I, I picture the well. I picture people, characters, if you will, in my mind's eye and this interaction going on. And then when you have to say, no, 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 back up. Let's replay that whole scene and put the age on it. By the way, in case somebody's asking the question, I tried to do the same thing to find out, well, how old was Rachel? And what I found out is about the only thing we have is Jewish tradition. And other things that I found in Jewish tradition weren't very reliable. Um, so I'll just give it to you, though. The, the pretty much accepted uh, age is somewhere around 22 which that creates another interesting um, picture, if you will, when Laban is marrying off his daughters to this man who is in his 70s, by the time the marriage occurs, 80s. 
Um, now, I have no doubt that Jacob was a different kind of vigor at 80 than any of us will be. But uh, um, it, it's just interesting to me when I, when I think about it that way. And so that's what I have. Question, anything else? Well, let me close with a word of prayer. Father, we look at ourselves and we know that we're nothing special. Scriptures even ask and answer the question, what do you have that didn't come from above that it's good? All good things come from above. Lord, anything worthwhile in our lives is something that you've given us by your grace. We might look to our natural born abilities and say, well, look at this ability I have and that have, but Lord, even in that, as David said it, in my mother's womb, you knitted me together. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, Lord, we aren't trying to build ourselves up, but Lord, we do want to praise you today. We want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you for the way that you work through all kinds of men and women and chose many that were weak and ill-prepared for what you desired out of them, but you used them and through the lineage of Abraham, who was a very faithful man who honored you in many ways and trusted you and knew that you were bringing the truth and then the promise passed through his lineage, but through him and his descendants, you have indeed blessed every family on earth through Jesus the Christ. Lord, uh, as we come into this Christmas season, let us be constantly reminded not only of who Jesus is, but who you are and the majestic plan you had to come and to be active with mankind directly here on earth and set the stage for us to be redeemed and called into your kingdom. Lord, we are completely dependent upon that. Nothing we can do to earn it, and we are most grateful for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, have a good Christmas, and we will see you the second Sunday in January.